Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you all for joining. For those who I don't know, my name's Kyle. I am the pastor here at Emmanuel. And we're continuing on right now in uh, our series, Kingdom Come. But this series is actually coming to a close today by looking at the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me there. As we turn there, we're going to see that there is a lot of stories to be told in this chapter of Scripture. And that makes me wonder, who is the greatest storyteller that you have ever met? Who's the greatest storyteller in your mind? For me, it's a guy named Dave. A friend of my dad's, Dave is a gentleman who has lived a life that you just, you, you wouldn't believe it until you Google him. I mean, this guy has lived a life that has just been wild. He had a crazy upbringing. He worked as a, uh, a police officer in a SWAT division. He worked in an investigation division of police and got shipped down to the States for numerous cases to work with the FBI. And he wrote a hit song for the 70s and 80s pop star Julio Iglesias. This guy is wild, and it's so great because not only does he have these great stories, but he has this way to tell you these stories that you almost think it's fiction. Like, he's just so good at telling it. It's like he's crafted, he's written it down, he's spelled it all out, but after enough Google fact-checking of every story he's told me, I have concluded that every word is truth. Dave's a really good storyteller. Do you know any bad storytellers? I know a few. <laughs> I'm not going to name them. Not, not that they're in the room, but I'm not going to name them. But there's some bad storytellers, and we all know a bad storyteller, right? Like the person who just never gets to the point. They just meander forever with aimless points, and you're like, where are we going in this story? There's a big difference between a good storyteller and a bad storyteller, and we can usually tell the difference between the two. It's the way they tell the story. But there's also a great difference between a good storyteller and a great storyteller. A great storyteller is someone who tells a story in such a way that it moves you, that it causes you to linger on what they had to say, whether it's a made-up story or a true story, the way they tell the story hits you in the heart and causes you to reflect and think, and sometimes it can move your life to be changed. I think Jesus is a master storyteller. He has this incredible way of taking ordinary situations, common object lessons of his day, and telling them in such a way that it would move people. Jesus told a common type of story called a parable, which is really just a story with a purpose. And Jesus' purpose in telling his stories was always to reveal some type of truth, some type of reality that might go unseen to someone who wasn't paying attention. And so Jesus told these stories as a way to speak about the spiritual realities of our world and how to engage with them. Jesus told all sorts of parables. In fact, in the scripture we'll look at today, we'll see that it's said that he told almost exclusively parables in many ways. Jesus always wanted to leave people hanging on his words so they would understand who he was, 
what he came to accomplish, and something that could, people could live by. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the whole of Matthew chapter 13. And within this chapter, there's seven different parables. Seven parables which tell of a great purpose of Jesus and his kingdom. They tell us how we should respond to him. Up until this point in looking at the life of Jesus, we've been left with all these kind of questions. Who is Jesus? What's this kingdom really mean? He's talking about some kingdom of God. What what does that really mean? What does it look like? How does that play out? Is there any value in what Jesus is talking about? And after he's gone and he's been teaching people, his disciples, those on the street, as he's been wrestling with the religious leaders in his day, as he's been going and accomplishing great miracles so that people would know what he had to say had weight, we see that he's come now to give a sort of summary, a summary of everything that we've been studying as a church as we've gone through Matthew chapters 9 to 13. This summary in seven parables will give us something to chew on, something to consider in terms of everything that we've faced as we've studied the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, normally, as we would go through our our typical sermon series, I would actually probably break this down into five to seven different sermons, and that's because every parable is worth considering. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to look at how these things all summarize what Jesus has to say. But that said, I would encourage you this week to take this on as maybe like a devotional challenge. There's seven parables for seven days in this upcoming week. And starting today, maybe consider just taking each one on its own and pondering and reflecting what what God has to say through that specific parable. And then after you've done all that and after we've discussed what we have to say today, hopefully you'll be able to sort of zoom out and look at the greater story that Jesus is telling. And I hope that that will lead you to a, a, a profound and deeper appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's accomplished in your life and in mine. And so we're going to now watch a video, which is narr- it's the scripture narrated over some scenes, which will hopefully bring some of the storytelling of Jesus to life. And as we watch this video over the next few minutes, I just encourage you to consider, what does this tell me about the kingdom of God, and what does it have to do with my following him? So let's watch this together. down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you should root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, 
But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old.
So after all of his teaching, after the performing of many miracles, Jesus comes and teaches these seven parables to give us a picture of what the kingdom of God is, what its value is. But there is a differentiation between who's in and, and who's out and how that will be all sorted out. And so as we wrestle through these things, of course, we have to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? In its broadest sense, it's wherever God rules and reigns wherever he's in control. But in a much narrower and more personal sense, the kingdom of God is where he is impacting the lives of individuals and the experience and the life that they will live from now in and through eternity until one day he will come and reestablish the fullness of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we consider everything that we've been studying as a church, as we look at these parables, we see that there's really three things that we ought to know. And these parables give us sort of three summary truths. And they are these. First, that the kingdom of God is of the greatest value. Second, that a little bit of the kingdom in our life goes a long way. And third, that there will be some who will receive the kingdom of God and others who won't. So let's start with this first idea. We see this idea that the kingdom of God is of the greatest value. Jesus uses, of course, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field or the parable of the pearl. And Jesus teaches that there is something that is worth more than everything you have before you encounter God in his kingdom. It's of infinite worth, and it's worth abandoning everything else for. Because this is a treasure that's of value for now through eternity. When the kingdom of God comes into our lives, it doesn't just make a change for one day when we die, we get to go to heaven. But it has value for guiding us and giving us wisdom in this life. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus had talked all about how there was a, a path, a way to go, which would ease our anxiety and our burdens, and it's the path of following him. When I have conversations with people who have a lot of anxiety about the big questions in life, we often end up at this point in conversation where someone will say, I would do anything. I would do anything to have this question answered. I would do anything to have a little bit more peace or purpose or, or a, a real place to belong. An encounter with God and him bringing about his kingdom in our life provides all of those things. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't just come to teach. Though he came as a teacher, he came to guide us in to a better way, something that would answer our questions in life, something that would give us purpose and meaningful uh, capacity for to go and live in a certain way. He came to provide an avenue to understand how we can live in an increasingly complex and confusing world. He came to give us a sense of belonging, a place to be. He gave us himself and his kingdom. That's what he comes to bring. And he tells us everything else that you've gone seeking, you know has failed. It hasn't measured up, it hasn't provided, it hasn't given you that sense of place. 
And so come. Come experience all that I would have for you. Lay down your anxiety, your stress, all of those burdens, and I will provide a place. This is what you need if you're finding yourself anxious, questioning, wandering in life. If you're looking at the life you've lived up until this point and saying, this hasn't turned out the way that it ought to, this hasn't led to my flourishing, that's because you've missed out on the king. A lot of us want to experience the world for being what the kingdom of God has to offer, but we want to do it without the king. But we can't have what the kingdom of God has to offer without him in place. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, put your faith and trust in me as your king, and then I will provide you a place. Then, as you follow me, I will bring flourishing to your life and those around you. But this isn't just a a message about salvation. It's also a message of cost for those of us who would follow him. The kingdom of God and the flourishing that he promises are wonderful. But we don't just get it all there. Now, don't get me wrong. We receive salvation when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But if we want to experience all that that kingdom has to offer for our day-to-day living, we have to live in the way of Jesus. Jesus says there is a narrower way to live that will bring you to life. And that's following after me. I believe that's why Jesus chose to come as a rabbi in the time that he did, because it was a time when Jesus would live in such a way that those who would come to him would know that they had to mimic him and copy him and adopt his patterns and rhythms and practices so that they could receive what he had. This means that if we, even those of us who already have faith, want to experience the fullness of the flourishing that God would have for us, we have to change the way we think and act and relate to the world. We have to change our priorities and the things that we are to value. We can't continue to live half in, half out, adopting these things we like about Jesus and his teaching and adopting these things that we like about another worldview or way of life. Jesus says, if you want all that I would have for you, come and live in my way. And he promises it will be an easier, less confusing way of living that will lead us to life. And the great news is he goes on and doesn't just say that there's a cost, but he says that there is a great treasure and reward. And he also says that it just takes a little to get a whole lot. My favorite of these seven parables is the parable of the yeast. Because I love this picture of how just a little bit goes a long way. Did anyone else get into the sourdough kick, you know, during the COVID lockdowns? I mean, I think a lot of people got into this as we sat at home and we learned to uh, figure out how to do this. And we got maybe a sourdough starter from a friend. I got one from someone here at the church and I started to bake. And I was amazed at how just a little bit of that sourdough starter would turn into these wonderful loaves. Adding that in with just a few key ingredients would change the flour and the ingredients. It would change in shape 
and size and flavor profile. This is what Jesus is telling us through this parable, that as his kingdom comes to our life, just a little bit brings a lot. It brings a lot of those benefits and those rewards that God promises for those who will follow him. And he tells us also in the parable of the sower that this will be exponential in our lives. He says that we'll reap 30, 60, 100 times what is sown into our lives. One of the things about the kingdom of God is that it needs to be cultivated. But as it's added in, it will bring life. A lot of people are in a place right now where they don't feel like you're growing. You feel stagnant and dry and worn out. But that's a time not to question God as king, but to question our heart as people who are trying to cultivate the kingdom. Because if we're diligent in adding the ways of Jesus into our life, he promises that there will be a flourishing. And so if we find ourselves dried up and worn out, the question I would find myself asking me is, am I actually being diligent? And I can look back a lot of times and realize that I have totally missed this principle in the patterns of the way that I've lived. I, I find myself looking back on, on, on periods where I just felt dry and worn down and, and burnt out, and I sit and I go, what happened in those moments? And I look at the negative feedback loop that I perpetuated. As I wasn't participating in these spiritual disciplines and practices, as I wasn't searching after God diligently like I should, I found myself more spiritually dry. So what did I do? I did less of it. So what happened? I got drier. And so I did less of it. I got drier and less of it. I got drier. But the opposite is also true. When I came to a place by the Holy Spirit or the encouragement of a friend or a mentor or somebody who was a meaningful person in my life, and they said, hey, how are you doing in these places? Are you actually following in the ways of Jesus? And if I would break that negative feedback cycle, I would begin to see fruit. Now, it might not always be a lot at the beginning. It's kind of like when you activate some yeast for your baking and you just see a few little bubbles. But as it's added in, as in you begin to bake the bread and leave it to rest and rise, you see that it grows over time. The same thing is true for our spiritual lives, for our spiritual vitality, for seeing God's presence and power grow in our life. As we add a little bit over time, it becomes a lot. You often see this in, in people, especially if they didn't grow up in faith, when they come to faith. In the church tradition I grew up in, we used to call new Christians people who were on fire. Right? They're on fire for God because suddenly there's this passion, there's this heat, there's this exuberance because they went from having none of the kingdom of God to a little bit and that grew to a whole lot. And I hope that's been all of our experience. And, or if you haven't come to faith, I hope that will be your experience and you will enjoy that. But if we're not diligent, that will begin to wax and wane 
and slowly we'll find ourselves seeing less of that harvest, less of that growth that God provides. And so my challenge for you, if you're not seeing growth, if you're not seeing more of what God's doing in your life and in the world around you as you connect to it by the power of the Holy Spirit, then I would encourage you to consider what are you doing to cultivate that. Because God makes a promise on this, that it will grow 30, 60, 100 times more. I know I've been belaboring this point quite a bit over the last number of months. Spiritual disciplines, these practices, these rhythms. But the reason I press into that, the reason I'm pushing our church in this is because I've seen what it can do for my life, for the lives of those around me who press in to these things. And I would love for our church to cultivate in that way because God promises that the kingdom of God is, is something individual, but it's also something corporate. It's also something that we will experience and encounter as we grow together as a church. One of the things our staff is doing, and I mentioned this last week, is we're going through a great book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And we've been taking a week where we read a chapter, then a week to practice those disciplines. And as we do that, it has been making a difference. Sometimes it's challenging and convicting, and you have to own up to places you failed. But sometimes it spurs on and encourages, and we see new energy and new life. We would love to involve you as a, as a church, as a whole church in this. We're going to do actually a group order of the book this week. And so if you want to join with us in this, you can go to the Connect desk, you can Email us online or in the chat. You can come by sometime today or by tomorrow morning and we'll, we'll order a book. Trust me, it's the best $24 you're going to spend. And as you do that and as you commit to, to with somebody else maybe, whether it's a friend or a spouse or your community group, as you do that, you'll be able to encourage and inspire and you will see the kingdom of God begin to grow. This is what Jesus promises in his kingdom, growth, and new life. And a little will go a long way. But there will be those who commit to that path, and there will be those who don't. This is the third lesson that we see in the parables of Jesus as he talks about his kingdom. There will be some who receive the kingdom of God, and there will be some who don't. There's going to be people who have false starts, people who have hardened hearts. There's going to be those who drift away. But those who receive the kingdom of God will receive its benefits. And it's a hard truth. <laughs> it is a hard truth and it's a hard reality. And, and frankly, it's one that I have taken up with God on time and time again. God, why has it been this way? Why do you do this? And I have had to come to a place where I turn to God and say, I have to trust you in this. I don't know why you do it. I don't know why it exists this way, but I trust that you are good, that you are loving, that you are just, and that you are right. So let's go into that. And we lean into it. I don't get it all because Jesus' death, it says it was for the sins of the world, yet not all will receive the benefit of his sacrifice. But that inspires me to mission. But first, the parable warns me not to judge. 
One of the important things that can easily be missed when we talk about who's in and who's out is this sense that it's not up to us to determine that. It's up to God to be the judge. One of the great faults, I think, of good Christian people is often that it can lead us to judgmentalism if we don't take serious the full teaching of Jesus. We see the parable where Jesus' workers come and they come up to God and they say, okay, I see some wheat with some weeds. Do you want me to go clean all that out? What does the farmer say? No. Leave that for me to sort out at the right time. We see that there will be those where seeds that are cast that will grow up to be healthy and good and there will be those that don't. But it's not our job to sort that out. God knows the heart and soul of every person he has created, and so he will take care of it all. There will be a day when those who receive his kingdom will experience all the goodness of the fullness of heaven returning down on earth for eternity, and there will be the consequence for those who don't to experience a separation from a good and loving God. But that's not our place to determine who's in and who's out. One of the biggest things that God taught to me in, to learn this lesson was in the life of one of my grandfathers. One of my grandfathers came to faith in his la- the last time he had on earth. Here was a guy who you would not have known, who would have pushed against the gospel, who would have rejected God all throughout his life, but in his final days, God had already been up to something, and he came to profess faith in Jesus. So many people could not have known. They weren't in the room in the hospital. They did not know what happened. And if we are not careful, it's easy for us to look at a life lived and say, they're not with God. But God knows, and God is working, and he will bring home to him who he will bring home. So where does that leave us? It leaves us on mission. It leaves us in a place where we understand our identity is to be the good and faithful people who take the kingdom that has come into our life and we go to spread it around. Our job is to be the people who are changed by what Jesus can do in our lives by the power of his spirit and we're called to go and sow seeds of hope in our world so that many would know who God is. We spread seeds, we water seeds. Hopefully, we get the great joy and experience of God cultivating people through the work of our life, but at the end, it is not our place to judge who's in or who's out. But know this. God's kingdom is of great value. A relationship is worth more than anything else you could live for. And a little will go a long way if you pursue him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are not just the creator of the universe. You are not just the judge of who's in the right and who's in the wrong with you, but you are a God who out of love has come and lived a rescue mission for us on earth. 
that you have taught and shown the way to live in your presence and experience your kingdom, that you have shown a better way to life. God, we thank you that you love us so profoundly that you would pay the ultimate cost for each and every one of us and those who have lived and come after you and those who will come after us. God, we thank you for such great love. God, I pray that we are a people who would receive that love by faith, but we would not just make it a decision for salvation, but we would make it a decision for the whole of our lives. God, will we be people who take you at your word that you promise that we will see life and we will see the flourishing of our own lives and our family's lives and our community and our culture if only we would grab onto you and sow the seeds of your kingdom. God, we look forward to seeing how you will continue to answer that promise as we lean into this as individuals and as a church. God, would you help us never to lose sight, never to lose hope, never to lose our faith in, in trusting in your promise because, God, you have shown us that you will deliver on every promise you bring. Lord God, I pray that every single person here would be able to acknowledge you as king, that every person would be able to cultivate more of the kingdom in their lives and that we together would go out and bring more of your hope to our world. But God, we know we need to do you to do any of that in and through us. So we thank you for this opportunity. And now, even as we turn to take communion, Lord God, would you remind us of everything that we believe in? We give this time to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can celebrate all the benefits of God's kingdom. We can receive the fullness of his presence and his life and his way of living if we come to faith in him, but we cannot forget that there was a cost. We're going to take communion together as a church, and this is an opportunity for us to remember God's costs for the kingdom, that Jesus would come to earth, that he would take the sin of the world upon his shoulders so that in his death, he could die the death that we deserved so that in his resurrection we could have the reward which we do not deserve. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on that at first through this next song. And I would just encourage you to set your heart right with God in this time. Scripture encourages us that we should take communion seriously. It's an opportunity to connect, to commune with God. It's an opportunity together as a people of God to reflect on what he's done for us and to celebrate that together. And so whatever you need to do in this time, if there is unrepentant sin in your life, bring it before God, knowing that he's already paid the cost. If you're in a place today where you are experiencing it, say, take some time to just reflect on the cost and celebrate him and thank him for it. And then after we've sung this song of worship to God, of reflecting on what he has done for us, then we'll come together as the church. We'll reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul and we'll take communion together. But first, let's sing this song, Man of Sorrows. Sorrows, Lamb of God, by 
the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' name. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. To the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto me. Saint of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and
cost of our salvation, the cost of God's kingdom comes with the greatest weight, but it also brings the greatest freedom. It brings the greatest thing that we can ever sing for, that we could ever live our lives for. The Apostle Paul says that when we take communion, we celebrate and proclaim his death until he comes again. So let us do that together. If you would, take out your elements, and we are going to remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he went to the cross for what we can live for. The Apostle Paul says that the Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven and then he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took a cup and he Thank God once again, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. God, we thank you that we have something to sing about. We thank you that we have something to live for. We thank you that it is you and your great love for us. God, we thank you that you were willing to pay the price so that we could have the fullness of life in you. And God, I pray that we would never stop celebrating it, never stop proclaiming it. And Lord, that we could be such a grateful people, moved by the power of the message of your kingdom. We thank you for this and we worship you in Jesus' name. <clears throat>